welcome back to another Two Guys, One Topic expert interview. This week, our topic is evolution. And Liam, we needed to find ourselves a topic expert, didn't we? Yes, that's right, Ollie. Yeah, so this week we went a little, it was a bit easier, really, because as part of our research into evolution, we actually watched a TED Talk by this guy, didn't we? And we thought, well, what better expert to interview than him? So he's a professor in in the Department of Biological Sciences at Louisiana State University. He is a lecturer in the largest biological evolution course in America. And his name is Professor Prasanta Chakrabarti. Prasanta, thanks so much for joining the Two Guys, One Topic podcast. Glad to be here. It's something that we're we're really looking forward to talking to you this week. As our listeners will already know, this week's topic has been evolution, and we needed to find ourselves a topic expert, which is most certainly you, Prasanta. Excellent, yeah. (laughs) I'll do my best. (laughs) One of the things that we always like to do is just understand our topic experts, how they got into their particular niche, um, and how you got into this line of work. Yeah, that's actually an interesting question. So I I usually uh, refer to myself as an ichthyologist, and that's somebody who studies fishes. And so I study their natural history and evolution. And so in in the mode of studying Mm -hmm. fishes, I sort of look at the tree of life, who's related to whom across uh, life on Earth. And I realize that, hey, we're fish too. And then I started understanding about where our organs come from and the evolution of our bits and pieces. And I realized, you know, I'm an evolutionary biologist primarily who just studies fish as a focus. Okay. <laughs> nice. And um, Liam and I were saying to um, each other that it sounds like ichthyology. 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 Sounds like yeah. we could do a whole separate podcast on ourselves. Um, oh, yeah. It's just about what that, that is. <laughs> Um, so that might be another one for the future where we'll be coming back to you and, and asking you some more questions. Yeah. So at, at its simplest, right, we tried to start by just simplifying what evolution is. We found a definition saying that evolution is the way living things just change over time. Does that about sum it up if, if we were trying to get it as simple as possible? I, I do like that one. It's It's very broad, you know, and uh, I guess the there's always an asterisk, right? If you're going to ask the expert and the asterisk I'd add is, you know, it's heritable change. So if you cut off your arm, you know, that's not evolution. And uh, so it's, it's something that's heritable that's passed down. And so another shorthand could be descent with modification, Mm -hmm. but the average person may not understand the the entirety of what that means but it is change it's change over time so i i mean i, I like that broad definition of it because um, we we'd read some people didn't we, they were doing experiments where they'd cut the tails off mice and then see if, if the, the next mice would have no tails and obviously realize pretty quickly that that is not the case yeah that was so before darwin and I have a little statue here. I know you guys can see it, but not everybody else. But uh, ah, nice. before Darwin, there was a guy named Jean-Baptiste Pierre de Chavier de Lamarck, something like that. Yes. Lamarck, as we know him. Uh, he thought that change 
was not necessarily, you know, it could be that the guy who works out at gym fit or whatever gym, you know, his kids will be strong because mm-hmm. he's inherited these acquired traits. And so that test of cutting the tails off the mice was to see if the acquired trait of losing the tail is maintained over generations. It's not Lamarckian evolution. One evolutionary theory was wrong. Uh, and that was evidence that it was wrong. Yes. And we, we were reading as well with Lamarck, he was saying about giraffe necks. I think that was one of the, about yeah. if, uh, if a giraffe needs to keep on stretching to eat the leaves, then that continuous stretching would then be passed on, which obviously isn't quite right yeah. either. Wouldn't it be nice to just stretch out every day and get a little longer and pass that down to your giant children? And, you know, <laughs> but not so, not so. But a good idea. You know, like Lamarck took a big leap to uh, to even think about evolutionary change. Because before that, they just thought, you know, organisms sort of popped out of the ground, you know. And so making a connection between life on Earth, that's a big deal. So Lamarck, he is ridiculed because, you know, 200 years later, we think it's silly, but, you know, he gave it a shot and, uh, and he, he got the, uh, the world primed for Darwin. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And um, when we were listening to your, your Ted talk, so as part of our research as well, we, we viewed your, your Ted talk, which was really interesting. And you talked it about being a theory of evolution and that it's, it's sometimes into incorrect to describe it that way. Could you just maybe just explain sure. to the listeners a little bit more what, what you might mean by that? Sure. So a theory in, you know, normal day parlance is like, you know, I have a theory that, you know, I'm going to find some money on the floor if I go to this place, right? Like a theory is just sort of a, an idea, right? But in, in scientific parlance, a theory is an overarching viewpoint that explains some natural phenomenon. And uh, it doesn't mean that we're questioning it by calling it a theory. So gravity is a thing, right? It's a fact. Mm-hmm. Yes. And evolution is a fact, uh, but it's also composed of many theories that its uh, uh, umbrella theory holds. And one of those uh, theories is the theory of evolution via natural selection, which is Darwin's contribution. And there's evolution via uh, um, genetic drift, you know, and that's another theory within this umbrella uh, idea. And so evolution is a fact. And people who, who don't understand that sort of subtle difference between how scientists use theory and, and the everyday person uses theory, sees theory as a, you know, a, a, a checkered or, or uh, unproven un, uh, idea when yeah. it very much is. We can't explain life on Earth without evolution. Yes. No, that, that makes sense. Yeah, thank you for that. And um, you just mentioned there, actually, Darwin's natural selection. We had a go at explaining that as well on our podcast. So I, instead of me trying, could you just explain that to the listeners? Like, what, what is natural selection as far as like, how does that lead into evolution? Yeah, so I'll explain natural selection the same way Darwin did, uh, which is by explaining something else first. <laughs> the first two, uh, or the first chapter of Origin of Species, this great book, is eye-wateringly boring. It's about pigeons. And it's about how you can select certain traits in a pigeon to make them fluffier or to have longer tails or to, you know, so these breeds of pigeons were artificially selected by man to have certain traits because we're selecting traits. 
Natural selection is the same process, but nature is the selector and not us. And so through a struggle for existence, there are many individuals born, probably too many to survive. They must Mm -hmm. compete. And those with the traits that uh, permit them to survive and pass on those traits are selected. So that's natural selection. And it's, it's not a predetermined selection, is it? There's, there's no consciousness. Genes aren't trying to, to, to change in, in a conscious way. It's just they are a mutation, which then could be a beneficial mutation or not. And the beneficial ones then carry on. That's right. Yeah, there's no goal to evolution. We are not, you know, humans are not the pinnacle, despite our our uh, sort of self uh, uh, self absorbed nature. Sure? <laughs> <laughs> evolution is going in in many directions. You know, we couldn't survive without the bacteria in our guts, right? And so the bacteria that can uh, synthesize citrus and all these other things that we can't do, you know, maybe they think they're the pinnacle of evolution, right? They don't need us. We need them. You know, what, what's wrong with the platypus that can have this ducky, leathery beak and an electromagnetic sense and all this stuff that we think is primitive, right? But it's yes. not. It's still alive today. And, and evolution changes because the environment changes. And the environment as nature is selecting who survives and who doesn't. Yeah. And, uh, so. Oh, nice. And before Darwin, so he was quite instrumental with- putting together this theory in a more coherent way than what Lamarck or, or anyone else before him had done. But it might be just worth us just touching on what, what people believed before Darwin. Is it just a, a full creationist story? Not, not really, not really. So if we think back even further, you know, back to Aristotle and, you know, the many millennia before BC, before there was even okay. a, a, a doctrine of creation, you know, Aristotle sort of saw and Plato, others, they saw there's this connection, a hierarchy between the organisms, but they didn't have a, a creation view, but neither did they have this network view of, of things are, are descended from one another. Okay. So it was, it was sort of before, you know, if we think of, and Aristotle's, you know, view was, was the only view for thousands of years. Yeah. And then you get, yes, the Christian doctrine, um, the um, doctrine of many religions that sort of man was created and, and these individual species were created, you know, in in different places. And when Darwin started thinking about this during his voyage of the Beagle, he said, well, you know, why doesn't every desert have the same cactus species? And why do these individual islands that I'm visiting have their own population species of these different kinds of birds and mammals? Mm -hmm. Why did, if there's a creator, why did they create different species in different places instead of, you know, connecting these things? Because he saw this connection as he crossed the equator and the southern continents. He saw, hey, there's different species here and here. And he started to think, well, maybe one of these species gained access to one of these islands and changed. And that's where he started thinking about what's the selection pressures on this island versus the mainland. And he came up with natural selection. But yeah, it, I mean, Darwin was a, a major force, but we've, we've learned a lot since Darwin. People sort of pick on natural selection, but Darwin didn't know about genetics. He didn't know about um, hormones. So that's when in the 19th century, people added DNA and, and uh, we really gained our understanding of, of deep time evolution. So 
you know, there's all this evidence of evolution. And I'm, I think of that scene in Friends where Phoebe tells Ross that she doesn't believe in evolution. And he's like, well, I've got all this evidence to back this up. Are there still people that, that just don't believe it and argue against it? Or almost, sure, just, yeah. you know. Yeah, and I don't... And don't that just drive you nuts? No, it, it doesn't. I, I always feel like it's my time to, to help explain. And I, I, I <laughs> never, never fault people for believing something that, you know, they've grown up. Uh, believing and also many of them have strong you know religious views and and they you know I don't want their whole system of belief to collapse just because mm-hmm. I'm giving them so for me it's more like when is it important to really grab somebody's hand and say hey look you know the coronavirus this covid virus uh is evolving let me show you how it's changing and you know covid's actually been uh, a terrible thing, but also a very useful tool for for teaching and explaining evolution. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because of the mutations. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and just the, you know, looking at, they're looking at a phylogeny. A phylogeny is the tree of, of how it's the mutations are related to each other. And, you know, we're looking at this over days, and we could see it changing and, 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 and mutating across different parts of the world. So yes. we just do this with the tree of life. You know, we're just trying to figure out instead of yeah, yeah. months and days, we do this over millions of years. And that <laughs> that's one of the things that like trying to wrap our heads around it as well. Mm-hmm. Like looking at the tree of life and we know you're, you're a big fan of fish, but how, how can a fish turn into a horse? I mean, it, <laughs> my, well, it just blows you know, my mind. For me, I think about like, well, how would we get uh, an octopus to be a, a creature like a horse? You know, it'd be much more complicated if we had evolved from octopus, right? Yeah. Because their brains are all over their many digits, many arms, right? And their brains not centralized in the same way ours are. Their their neuro, neurological systems are are very different. Their their respiratory systems are very different, and so. I, you know, fish are still evolving right out in the ocean. So the yes. majority of fishes are these, these bony fishes, you know, if you think of a puffer fish or, you know, Nemo and, and Dory, those kinds yeah. of fishes. But they are not the fishes that evolved into, that led to us, right? So okay. 400 million years ago, we share a common ancestor with a group of fishes called sarcopterygians. Those are lobed finned fishes. And those things crawled onto land. Okay. They started evolving in the water and shallow waters and they have, you could find their fossils. They have a radius and ulna like we do and wrist bones and, and digit bones. Okay. And they gave rise to all the things that came onto land. And so if you'd make the leap from, you know, finding Nemo to a horse, that's a hard intellectual leap to make. But if you go back in time and look at what was around 400 million years ago and see, you know, there must've been a vertebrate to come onto land at that time. What are, what would those vertebrates look like? It's like, Oh, they're, they are in fact fish. When they come onto land, they remain fish, you know, and, and that, that evolution of tetrapods, the land dwelling vertebrates, you know, over the course of 400 million years leads to us and to horses and to ducks. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. I, I love seeing it. And, and you know, but every time, so I'm, I'm teaching a, an ichthyology class and we dissect sharks and bony fish. And I say, okay, 
find me something in this body, in the shark body that we don't have, you know, and it's, we have the liver and organs and circulatory system and the brain is composed of the same parts. There's some things yeah. that have changed, right? Like our gill, we don't have gills now. You did when yeah. you were a fetus, but you know, the, the gill muscles that pull up, I'm giving away too, too much for my lab exam later. Uh, <laughs> muscles that pull up are your trapezius muscles, you know, the back muscles. And you can see this in the development of a human being. You don't even have to go back to the fossil record. You can follow the development of a, of, of a developing human embryo. And find you were saying muscles. about how an embryo of a human and a dolphin seems oh, yeah, to look remarkable. remarkably yeah. similar, don't they? And, then, and a fish and a ver- all vertebrates. Yeah. You know, it's, it starts out. You know, the vertebrate body plan is, is there, you know, and, and you can see it remarkably uh, similar. And then, yeah, as we get older, you know, in, in utero, we'd start to change. But, yeah, it's hard to tell. Most people wouldn't be able to see the difference between the vertebrates. Yeah. <laughs> my, my next question you just answered, I was going to say, how long are we talking about? And you went 400 million years. Like, how do you know something's 400 million years old? How do we know the fossils 400 million years old? Yeah. There's two ways, actually. So you can, um, first, you can look at DNA. So DNA changes over time, right? And so you can time using what we call a molecular clock. So you can compare uh, humans with, you know, our closest living relatives, which are chimpanzees, and say, hey, we we diverged for 8 million years ago based on the number of DNA changes we have. And then we can compare ourselves with our, our nearest uh, Sarcopterygian, those lobe fin fishes, and say coelacanths and lung fishes. It looks like it's about 400 million years. But fossils, you know, I, I give out 60 million year old fossil shark teeth to children in Halloween and anytime I get because they're very common fossils. Okay. And I know they're 65, 65 million years old because of the layer of um, where they're found, you know, time over time, these layers are. Okay, yeah. But also we can date, you know, the uh, organic molecules and, and the other chemicals from that time to say, okay, they are this old based on radiocarbon dating and other dating methods. So there's multiple ways. And But the 400 million year old date, you know, we were looking, people were looking for where in the world is there uh, Devonian, this 400 million year period where we could find fossils of this age. So it wasn't, you know, a blind guess for looking for where these fossils came from. They went to a place where there are fossils of the, where there is geological structure of the right age yeah, okay. and found fossils there. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. Where we were saying, <laughs> you guys can we find fossils where you are. We can, we can go out, you know, to the limestone cliffs of Dover and find lots of interesting fossils, you know, like, uh, so yeah we we got to get over there and when you find one for yourself it really is kind of like whoa this is neat you know look at this you know you can you can find fossils nice and i suppose what you're saying there comes back to darwin sort of laying the path in terms of coming up with this as a as a proposition but then technology not catching up for 100 more years plus to then be able to do the radiocarbon dating and the dna analysis to then come back and try and add some of that proof along the way yeah, it's interesting. So we've been reading um, different versions of Origin of Species. So there's six editions, you know, and, and Darwin goes back and forth because he has no idea how old the Earth is. He has to rely on on um, geologists who really didn't know mm-hmm. somewhere between 400,000 and millions of years old. 
now, of course, we know that Earth is over four billion years old, and that life on Earth we find fossils from three and a half million years, uh, three and a half billion years yes. ago. And and so you know, Darwin didn't have that perspective of time, like how long time uh, uh, um, has passed on Earth, but he also didn't have genetics, and so he had no idea that you know DNA is the mechanism by which information about uh, how to make a human body is passed down yes. and how remarkably similar, you know, I was like to say, you know, we're not only 99.9% similar to each other as different human beings, so similar. And we, we focus on that tiny amount of difference, but you're also like 60% banana and you're, it's not that different from, you know, like, so it doesn't take that much tweaking to change you know, what the outcome is of, of the body. I like that. Um, just one thing we, we you mentioned, actually, in, in this TED Talk that we watched, is about how some of the misunderstanding of evolution might affect the way we treat people and other animals and things like that. I wondered if you could just maybe elaborate on that, because that, that's not something we thought of or, or discussed, like me and Ollie ourselves. Um, sure. I don't know if you could just talk about that, just touch on it. Sure. Yeah, it's a it's a difficult topic because it's a it's a shame that scientists, evolutionary biologists, for about a generation after Darwin, used natural selection to think about human selection and eugenics. Like, how can they thought? How can we improve the human species if we make these kind of people, or if we don't allow these type of people to survive? Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll be yeah, better okay. humanity, and that's eugenics. You know, and that's a horrible period in evolutionary biology for which, you know, we're, we're still paying the, paying the price for trying to explain, hey, actually, natural selection, Darwinian evolution has nothing to do with human evolution uh, in terms of selection, in terms of who we should survive and who shouldn't. And so that's a, that's a more problematic period that we're still trying to resolve and, and overcome and explain that, look, there were bad apples bad practicers of, of who tried to sell evolution to politicians and say, you know, we should treat alcoholism by, you know, doing away with these uh, poorly selected human beings wow. instead of, okay. instead, yeah, it's an awful period. And, and, and that's something that more people should really talk about because it's a, it's an awful period in, in the history of, of the study of evolution. Wow. Yeah. We didn't um, come across that. No, that's, yeah, that's, that's terrible to hear. One of the things that we we um, we're reading a little bit about is it's there's the possibility to maybe, in terms of proving evolution, is seeing it happen. You can observe it in some bacteria. I know we said about coronavirus, but then also is there a way where you can then um, you can then actually see it happening in front of your eyes rather than having to wait hundreds or millions of years? Sure. Well, certainly with viruses that are you know multiple generations within a human subject, you know you can see coronavirus evolving and and picking up new traits like we are with uh these these, you know delta and and the new variant that's out Mm -hmm. um but also you know there've been studies where um they've kept e coli and other bacteria for many many generations look up the uh, i think it's called uh ltrr the um can't remember what it stands for i'm ashamed but it's um uh, something like the long-term evolution experiment. So it's LTE, okay. but you know they've been keeping um, bacteria and generation after generation plating them out. 
and seeing what happened because nothing nothing is changing about the environment that they keep them in and you know they popped up different mutations and that mutation has helped them survive better on the petri dish you know and they they've seen this change so that you can see functional mutations happening but for me it's more interesting in the the viral landscape you know with coronavirus has done a great job at teaching people evolution Mm -hmm. wow one more question i've got really is you, you mentioned it earlier like we're not the end of evolution so you must get asked a lot like what's next am i going to suddenly become immune to something or like am i going to start flying or anything like that where are we going in another hundred years do, do, do anybody know is there a decent guess um well if we look at what's happened in the past hundred years for humans we are getting taller you know probably because of better uh better food that's better for us but we're also getting um smarter so the Average IQ, which is always a hundred, right, is is a different uh, standard every every so often. I forget how often they recalibrate it, but uh, we are getting smarter, and that's probably also due to diet. So, but we are also selecting each other. You know, we're it's not randomly mating. So, you know, who mates with whom, and and you know, let's see how it plays out. Perhaps you know, uh, a disease can wipe out a, a larger number of uh, a certain group of people versus another, but we haven't seen anything that dramatic yet, but we are approaching, you know, a, a, a very high number, a higher population level than we could have ever imagined in mm-hmm. one species. You know, we're, we're, we are overtaking the planet. Of course, we have ways of adapting that don't require you to grow more hair or to, uh, you know, get taller because we wear coats and, yeah. uh, you know, overcome those and we help each other. So human evolution is very, Interesting, but I don't see us flying because of any um, natural selection. But, you know, we are in the age of CRISPR, too. So maybe rich folks will say, you know, I would love to have, uh, you know, kids that are strong naturally. So let's, uh, you know, use this new uh, gene editing tool to make stronger humans. And and that's the scary part. When we start using artificial selection, uh, via CRISPR on humans, that's going to be an interesting time for the next generations. You know, I, I don't see a, a plausible way of stopping that. Yeah. We, did you call it CRISPR? Did you call it CRISPR? Yeah, CRISPR, C-R-I-S-P-R. It's a, a gene editing tool, uh, which is a really fabulous tool for, um, you know, battling disease, for maybe getting rid of introduce species but also such a powerful tool that yeah certainly we can use it and apply it to humans and people have already unfortunately um but yeah it's a it's it's um probably the most incredible invention of the last hundred years wow yeah i've I've heard a little bit about it and as you say yeah you really don't want it falling into the the wrong hands it's uh it's really easy to use I can yeah. use it in a, a you know afternoon or something. Yeah, so it's not. It's yeah. It's 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 one of those things, but it's out there. So we have to, yeah. And in <laughs> terms of yourself, are there any areas of study that you're more excited about or or looking into at the moment? What what's the future for yourself, Prasanta? I mean, it's funny. I I love that my lab does all this genetic work and, and uses the new tools, the cutting edge tools, but I love getting out in the water and, and seeing what's new out there. I, there's still so much to discover. There's new species 
um, that haven't been described for science that we don't know about. We don't know who they're related to. I find I love finding species in different places where people haven't looked and finding that their closest relatives live, you know, 600 miles away or 6,000 miles yeah. away. Okay. And that can tell us about how the history of the earth has changed. For me, that's, that's my, that's my jam. That's my favorite thing is being out in the field and, and discovering and, and um, finding all this history of earth that um, maybe have been over, has been overlooked in the past. And you're, you're probably trying to look for sarcoptorygians. <laughs> um, Is that right? <laughs> I, do like, I do like those those lobe fin sarcopterygians, like coelacanths. I would love to find a, you know, a freshwater coelacanth somewhere. But I but I really love just any any discovery of of a new organism that that can help us fill in the gaps on the tree of life. Yeah. Um, Amazing. Yeah. It's been so interesting to to speak with you, Prasanta. Thanks so much for for joining the podcast. And um, yeah, it's it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you both. Liam, we've just spoken with Prasanta. What did you make of that Topic Expert interview? Well, I don't know if it made it more understandable or less understandable. And the fact he starts talking about 400 million years, <laughs> it hurts me head. I, I can't get my head around it. I mean, it, it sounds so simple. He, he said, actually, before we started talking, didn't he, that it's one of those things where you can sort of scratch the surface, but the, the more you learn about it, the deeper it goes. So hopefully we've answered like uh, that, that sort of top level. Hopefully people have got a better understanding. I liked it that some of the things that we asked or just had verified by Crescenta were things that we've already covered this week. And we, we've done a, a half decent job, I think, about the yeah, main he's... topic about evolution. Started talking about Lamarckism, didn't he? We, we got that. We already knew that one. Don't you worry about it, sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was really, really good. That was really interesting. Hopefully, um, yeah, loads of people um, will learn a lot about that. And hopefully we've just sort of confirmed it. And just um, just to say it again, what is it that Prasanta wants to be looking for next? So humans evolved from a special type of fish called a sarcopterygian, which is a fish with low-level fins, which I think is, means it could, like, the ones with, like, his fins became feet. You know, imagine his fins down low so he can sort of flob around on his tummy, a bit like a walrus or something. So just, just one last time, because it seems to roll off the tongue. I've got this written down, that's why I wrote it as he said it. Sarcopterygians, that's where we've come from. <laughs> Amazing. Well, we hope, we hope everybody's enjoyed this week's topic on evolution and also enjoyed the interview with Prasanta. If you have any questions for us, please get in contact on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram at Two Guys One Topic. We'd love to hear your comments or feedback. Get out there and share some knowledge. Sarcopterygian. <laughs>